welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by a friend of mine, Dr. Alex Young. He's an NHS trauma and orthopedic surgeon by training and is now the CEO and founder of mixed reality training platform, Verti, which you may have seen in the news recently for a Series A raise that they have done. Anyway, Verti develops immersive training tools and that's to help improve human performance in organizations and institutions and they are selling their kit around the world. So Alex built his first company and sold it at medical school and he went to Bristol. Now, Verti, Alex's most ambitious venture to date has won a huge amount of awards and grants including being voted one of Fast Company's most innovative companies of 2021. Hope you enjoy this episode. So Alex, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing, mate? Really good. Thanks for having me back on. Absolute pleasure to catch up again. Yeah, you're very welcome, man. Um, loads has happened for you since we last talked on this podcast, I believe. Um, we obviously catch up, but yeah, 10 million quid, Series A, Verti doing well, one of the Times most innovative uh, gadgets, or, or loads of stuff has happened for you. Um it's been a really kind of, I guess, exciting time for you. Loads happen, loads about to happen. I'm keen to get into it because raising Series A, it's one of those things that, you know, raising a seed round the say is the hardest, right? But then obviously raising Series A can't be far behind. But for the people that line themselves up properly, that get all their ducks in a row, that then go about the process correctly, can end up raising it and doing very well. And also, the looks of your investors being in the privileged position to actually choose their investors. So I think definitely want to talk about raising Series A. And actually, I want to talk about what happens next as well. I think practically, it's super interesting for people like me who see, you know, big money raises. Oh, I've raised 10 million. I've raised 100 million. What actually happens? Do you, do you wake up one day and there's 10 million quid in the account? Does that drip in over time? How do you then go about hiring people? I mean, what does your role do? So loads that I want to get into. Um but yeah, firstly, I suppose, whereabouts are you speaking to us from today? Looks very nice. Yes. There's a plant. Thank you so much. This is a new <laughs> plant for my, uh, <laughs> my apartment in Bristol. So I was out in um, the US, which was continuously sunny all the time. And then when uh, California got put into um, lockdown and stay at home, I chickened out and got like the second to last British Airways flight back <laughs> from, nice. from LAX. And I've been in Bristol basically all through 2020 um, and 2021 as well. So just waiting for the, the airplanes to open back up. So I can, <laughs> Head, head further afield. Nice. Do you want to run us through a bit of your story, mate, until this point? We can be relatively brief because you've obviously been on before. Um, but yeah, run us through the story up to this point, up to raising the Series A for Verti. Yeah, of course. So, so my, my backstory, just very briefly, is, uh, you know, like yourself, um, trained in the NHS, I did trauma and orthopaedic surgery, um, always been kind of obsessed with sports, learning, um, ways to kind of improve things for, for employees and had a couple of companies when I was training uh, as an orthopaedic surgeon and then uh, had the opportunity to um, start Verti really um, with the, the focus on revolutionizing how people learn, train and perform in, in any industry, but starting off in healthcare. Um, so around about sort of three years ago, I, I um, resigned my training number in trauma and orthopedics and um, got some initial pre-seed and seed investment back in, in 2018 uh, out in the United States and, and built this company really 
around the idea that we wanted to create a platform that treated uh, the workforce and employees like high performance athletes. So uh, it takes into account people's well-being. It provides them with um, the most uh, experiential and, and data driven training uh, on demand possible um, and allows them to kind of feedback. So if you think along the lines of a, a learning management system, but using AI and things like virtual reality and augmented reality, that that's the basic premise. So scaled up a team, um, fast forward to sort of 2020, uh, we were a team of 14 uh, selling into organizations uh, like some of the big healthcare providers in the United States, into the NHS, um, into places in UAE and APAC uh, with, with a relatively small team. And as COVID hit, a lot of our messaging was, you know, why do in-person training? Why do things like role play to train soft skills, which is not particularly you know data driven uh, it can as you know uh, be be you know a bit hit or miss depending on what actors or actresses or facilitators you get when you're doing that in, in med school or postgraduate um, and so as covid hit and people weren't able to do in-person training things for us sort of really went to kind of you know hyper growth and skyrocketed so um, as a kind of brief summary we grew by just under a thousand percent in terms of um, revenues uh, as, as you said, we were really lucky and, and quite humbled to help kind of the frontline healthcare workers during the pandemic. So upskilling people with things like how to use ventilators, uh, how to actually communicate with patients when you're wearing PPE and even how to don PPE. Um, and then for that, yeah, we, we had some cool stuff happen, like got listed in uh, the Time magazine 2020 best inventions list, uh, got featured on the NASDAQ tower in Times Square back in I think it was May of, of 2020 which was super cool even though there's nobody there to see it <laughs> everyone was quarantined at home one photographer uh, though I believe <laughs> exactly yes I, I do have a picture which proves that uh, it actually happened so uh, not photoshop so, uh, so yeah so, so that that was really great and then I guess uh, you know get, diving into your your question which I think is a really important one sort of looking behind the scenes of what kind of happens with with companies as they go through funding rounds um we were starting to be sort of approached quite organically by, by investors in, in the US and, and UK and, and other places as well, um, as they saw, you know, some of the stuff that we were doing. And uh, for me personally, like our kind of roadmap was such that I was thinking we'd, we'd probably raise a, a further investment around a Series A run in 2021. But at the time, we'd grown so quickly, um, there was a real opportunity for us to kind of accelerate growth even further. And so my my main criteria for what I you know why I wanted to do an investment round is firstly to you know fast forward and accelerate things as, as quickly as possible for us um, and then really three key things one was to bring in uh, some senior C-suite executives because uh, as you know I'm a kind of solo founder so I was running basically kind of ops uh, you know strategy everything other than than really kind of the you're a lone wolf Alex yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so, try, trying to do like far too much, basically, but uh, but but which is really fun and a great learning experience. But for anyone yeah. listening, there's only so far a, that can go. Yeah, to get a co-founder, um, <laughs> and uh, um, uh, and then yeah, basically we want to scale out the engineering team. So again, more kind of humans to to move things forward, allow us to kind of build an amazing product. Um, and, 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 and equally kind of with the sales team as well. So it was all about sort of growing the, growing the company in the shortest time possible. Um, and, and that kind of then took us through into the beginning of the fundraising process, um, which again, I can kind of dive into in detail uh, if you'd like me to. Nice. Before we do that, let's talk about Verti. Let's talk about the product. And I'm interested, I suppose, for our listeners to hear what it practically is, what's the user journey through it, what's the value? And then also, <clears throat> excuse me, 
What's the business model? The reason I ask is because you're obviously not only in health tech, you're sort of ed tech, aren't you? So you actually go cross sector, but health tech is still what you do. You were on the front line, you know, I was going to say treating, but educating the workforce on things like communicating with PPE and soft skills, lots of different things that you can teach. It's obviously VR based, but the reason I'm interested in the business model is that we have a lot of people on this podcast that want to make life better for staff. That's what a lot of people want to do because we do believe that a lot of us anyway, that if you can keep the staff happy in somewhere like the NHS, what fourth largest employer globally or whatever it is, then there's a lot that we can do to event, you know, help patients really at the end of the day, because if you keep the staff in better conditions, they're more likely to stay. You can retain um, the staff that you want to, et cetera, et cetera. But historically it's been quite difficult to find a business model that actually works for that. Because if you, save an hour of someone's day well really is that really going to do that much finance really going to care unless they sack people and then everyone's back to full capacity anyway so how do they recoup that money so it's been difficult to find a business model in healthcare that actually makes life better for staff so talk us through what verti is talk us through the user journey the customer journey because those will be two different things i imagine there's the dashboard and everything for them to see and then I suppose, how do you make it work as a business model, particularly in healthcare? Yeah, completely. So um, in terms of the, the user journey and, and what the platform does, so for any kind of uh, workforce, like learning and development representatives or HR representatives, we've got a cloud-based dashboard that works very similar to a learning management system. So you can put all of your users uh, into the system. Uh, you can then sort of track their progress through the various areas and and. Also, you can basically create and make bespoke your training um, for your organization. Now, the bit where the tech comes in, which is the really innovative bit that we've sort of patented, is there are you know, three or four different components to, to the system in terms of content. So um, we've got a, an interactive video uh, content area where you can use 2D video or um, 360 virtual reality type video uh, to capture real life training experiences and then make them interactive with things like decision trees. So a, a lot of what our analytics focuses on is the human factors element of training. So rather than being uh, sort of specifically technical training, like you know, people might've seen in uh, certain like computer generated virtual reality things where it's either surgery or it might be, you know, driving a, a truck or flying a plane or something. We really look at that kind of cognitive area um, because certainly when I was doing surgery, it was always the kind of leadership, human factors, soft skills which were the, the variables around knowing how to do an operation. And that's true of a lot of things. So in that video system, we can put people under pressure with the content. We can challenge them to make decisions and actually understand their decision-making time, skills and, and process and, and really sort of develop a new standard for that where at the moment that there isn't really anything. Um, the, the second thing that we sort of brought out um, a, a little while after that is then a, a, a soft skills conversational trainer, which uses AI and um, computer generated avatars. So if you think, uh, you know, Amazon Alexa, but you're looking at uh, a visual avatar of a patient or a colleague um, or, or whoever in, a, in an environment, and you can speak to them on a, a mobile device, on a desktop where it looks a little bit like a Zoom call, um, or as you say, in a virtual or augmented reality headset, um, you can actually, as a healthcare professional, have a, a complete history consultation with that avatar go through all of your questions, make decisions in a very sort of open sandbox environment. Wow. The, the AI will kind of understand what you're saying. And again, for the actual educators, 
they can change up all of that content and, and program in their own sort of scripts and things. So to give you an idea of the, the kind of range of, of soft skills you can train for that, you could put in any medical history and for healthcare professionals there's also the ability to examine the patient, send off tests, manage them, come to a diagnosis. In the corporate sector, you've then got things like difficult conversations, hiring and firing, uh, how to do a performance review with, with this avatar purely conversationally. And, and again, behind the scenes, the bit that we are really focused down on is the analytics. So if you think about uh, things like uh, you know, empathy and, and how people are approaching situations and how from your, you know, your um, communication skills training, how they start with open questions and then they check ideas, concerns, expectations, stuff like that, we can track at an organizational level, look at what you know, your employees struggle with. So if that's across your whole workforce, the workforce is poor at breaking bad news, we can flag that up, show that that needs more attention and the system sort of pushes things to, uh, to the learners. Um, and then the kind of third component of that, <clears throat> again, sort of mirroring what, what in-person training really sort of does at the moment um, is a feedback tool. Um, so people are able to kind of feedback on their wellness, um, how they think they've done sort of during the training, any other problems in real time. So, so that's uh, how the, the admins really kind of utilize the platform. They create this, this immersive uh, digitized soft skills training, um, which really looks to convert in-person training, scale it, reduce the cost of it, make it more accessible and collect unique data, uh, data points on it. Um, and then, yeah, for the, for the actual learners, the employees, it's a mobile app. So they've got access to it all the time, um, anytime desktop if they want to do it from work or at home um, and then virtuality headsets they can kind of pick up you know wherever they want depending on uh the, the level of realism and, and and again they can sort of interface in video interface in uh cgi um or just you know ping back any kind of uh feedback that, that they can do um in terms of business models so uh we quite nerdily and probably unnecessarily for an ed tech company did quite a lot of, of research into how the platform works and, and the benefits to the learners. So without boring everyone too much about the research, we, we basically did like a randomized control trial, again, completely unnecessary. <laughs> That's but quite it, a high it, level of, uh, of certainty there. Yeah, correct. So uh, what we basically found was that, um, yeah, if, if someone has an in-person training session, so say you're doing, um, uh, you know, let's say hospital life support for, for any of the medics listening, um, unless you're working in a, on a cardiac ward, it's unlikely you're going to be practicing CPR on a daily basis uh, yeah. unless your, your ward is particularly terrible. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, after you do that one-off training session in person, your skills will fade. And there's something called the learning curve, which is um, was sort of published in the 1960s in the learning psychology literature by a, by a guy called Ebenhaus. And um, what our system can do is because you don't need to go back in for physical training sessions, it reduces people's skill fade, um, you know, very, very significantly. So uh, we did one study where it improved learning retention by up to 230% over traditional methods like in-person training. Um, and then, that would really drop my anxiety of going back to do ALS and getting all of that recertification, ATLS and all that stuff. Oh, it's well, well, so this, stressful. This, this is the other big thing, right? And, and this is, you know, one of my big focuses when I started the company was if you think about high performance athletes and you think about um, performance coaches a lot of what they do is the psychological aspect of things yeah. so you know whether it's preparing mentally with visualization before you go out onto the field or you know you're visualizing shooting your three pointers at the end of the game yeah and you practice 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 
getting that practice in for something like surgery or something like, you know, CPR training or making a decision under pressure in A&E is really difficult. And when you actually get there for the first time, the, the emotion, the stress of that environment, even though you've been through med school, even though you've done the in-person training, even though you might remember everything, you can get stressed, you can forget things. And that's where mistakes happen. Um, and so yeah, following on from kind of that study, we, we, looked at actually the anxiety levels of putting people through these infrequent but hazardous events stressing people out proactively and then it showed that a significant number of of the learners felt much more relaxed more prepared more confident and again you can kind of link that to productivity reducing burnout and so forth um so, so really in terms of the business model what we do is we go in we analyze people's existing kind of curriculums in terms of what they do for wellness um in-person training really kind of experiential learning about how how frequently people get into the the operating department for healthcare or how frequently they do soft skills training and then we sort of map out a, a an roi business case around that so our platform's delivered uh, on a per user license cost so similar to like zoom or you know Got everything it. that people are familiar with um but we will guarantee basically complete payback of the platform within a year because nice. we're so confident that we can reduce the time and therefore cost needed for in-person yeah. training and we can deliver all these other uh you know really beneficial things to the workforce nice so is verti the the platform so the empty pipes and the analytics or do you guys create a lot of the content as well because that's going to be the real value isn't it it's going to be the amount of content on there and it can't be easy 2d 360 and vr you know to source all of that and create all of that yourself so is there a user-generated content element? I mean, how does that bit work? Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, uh, you know, when, when we were building the platform, one of the things that we kept hearing from, from kind of everyone in the L&D training space was we like doing things our way and we were very creative. We know what our uh, you know, doctors or nurses or, or our, our employees want and, and we've got a certain way of doing things. So um, one of the kind of USPs of the platform is we've built this no-code um, learning experience creation system for both interactive video and for these you know very technical cgi humans basically um now behind the scenes there we we internally also use that same no code system uh to create some generic off-the-shelf content to help people get started so you know we've got um pr pretty much all of the kind of indicative surgical procedures um <laughs> In, in healthcare there just to use. But obviously for something like surgery, uh, there are loads of different techniques, different ways, different tips from subject matter experts and, and consultants that an individual hospital um, or provider might want to sort of put on themselves. And then it's really scaling their own subject matter experts and making them the stars of the show. Um, similarly for soft skills training, we've got generic things like difficult conversations, hiring and firing, um, you know, different medical histories. Uh, but depending on your region, your localization and, and your, your learning development staff, you can edit those templates or you can create your own from scratch. Got it. So let's talk about the Series A then, because I'm interested to hear, first of all, I suppose, your preparation up to it. When were you going to be comfortable that you were ready to raise Series A? Was there a metric you were looking to hit? You know, we talk about traction or we hear about traction all the time that, you know, Series A is about product market fit. It's about traction. It's about early revenue, those types of things. I mean, did you have certain goals and figures in mind before you then went out? Because, you know, you're a guy that likes to be prepared. I know that of you and you don't want to go into something on the back foot ever. So I imagine there was something in mind that you had to go right now, I'm really going to go out and raise because everyone's going to want to come to me kind of thing. 
Yeah, hundred percent. So I mean, I, I think um, just to, sort of taking a step back there, I think obviously when we were building Verti, I'm, I'm obsessed with kind of product and innovation and creating things. And um, so we're a very product led organization um, and we're also a very sort of metric and data driven organization. So our, our, part of our company kind of values and behaviors is, is data, data, data. Um, so in terms of the product and, and product market fit, what we were terming product market fit for us with a, a new, very innovative product, we're educating the market about what it is and what it does. Um, you have what's called leading and lagging metrics. So, you know, if a customer is renewing with you or they're buying more licenses, that's your, that's what's called net revenue retention, basically. So that's obviously an indicator that they love your product and they're using it um, because they're buying more licenses, right? Uh, but the problem with that is it's a lagging metric because they you know, may renew on a, on a yearly license. They might renew on a two or three year license depending on what deal you've locked down. So you need basically something that's leading that your customer success and product teams can kind of obsess over and optimize. So for us, um, that's basically getting uh, 80% of the, the, the licensed users having content published to them and actively using it um, during a set period of time. So that's basically what we were tracking. So we knew that the, the product was hitting home. We knew from revenues that, that things were sort of scaling very, very fast. Um, and we knew kind of from, from a lot of the MQLs and things coming in through the, the website and some of our marketing data um, that, that, you know, in order to take advantage of the demand, we, we needed to kind of go out and, 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 you know, basically do something in terms of raising capital. Um, for, for me personally, there was, there was also an element of, you know, how comfortable did I feel? And, and what did kind of I need as a founder? Um, and just as an aside, I've, I've basically put together a, a blog post, now I have time, uh, going through our kind of like seed uh, investment round and, and the process and even like the actual deck that we use because not many, uh, we can talk about this a little bit later on, but like not many founders and, and especially people who are kind of going through these things at the time share stuff. So um, often people have to, you know, go back to, square one when they're building out a deck or they don't know what good looks like or they just don't have anyone sort of giving them tips and tricks and honest feedback so yeah i've, I've just put together sort of a blog post which is is uh, through kind of you know verti verti.com and, and my blog and stuff going through the seed round and the series a round but just to kind of really summarize that um i i put together a really specific process in, in what i wanted to do and, and who i wanted to speak to so just in general terms First up, made a, a huge list of all of the, the investors in our sector. I already had a, an investor updates list who we were sort of keeping updated on the company progress. We had some people reaching out to us as well. Um, I had some kind of like founder assumptions about what types of investors I wanted, where I wanted them to be. So sort of built that up first and then built basically like a sort of CRM pipeline um, uh, with, with sort of time frame. So thinking I'm going to do like, you know, 50 to 100 uh, VC like coffee meetings in you know, these couple of months, then I'm going to whittle that down depending on whether we're a fit, whether they're a fit. Um, and, and then kind of plan that out actually over a kind of like four month period. Um, now, the, the ridiculous thing about Series A round was we, we um, quite quickly found out that people really kind of got what we were doing. Um, and so the actual Series A round kind of closed within four weeks rather than four wow. months, which was, which was insane. Um, and you know, getting back to the top of the conversation, you're absolutely right. We were in a very fortunate position where, uh, you know, usually for anyone raising a funding round, if you get down to sort of, you know, one or two VCs who, who are going to be your lead investor, put the money into the company, 
that's a huge weight off your shoulder. You can kind of get back to running the business and, uh, you know, you, you may need to get negotiate kind of terms around the term sheet, but, but, you know, that's a great result. Like we had mm. like five or six people who are coming in with sort of wow. term sheets at the same time um, f- from the U S and the UK. And then I, you know, I had to sort of just check myself and think, okay, what do we actually want here? Because mm. we're now in a position of kind of like abundance um, which, which is the position you should be in for like making any decision to be honest. Um, but with fundraising, it being, being such a tough thing to do, we, we never even kind of like planned for that. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's where you can put a plan together and then something comes out and you're like, Oh, good thing to have. But you don't attempt fate fundraising. and plan for that though, to be fair. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, that's it. And I think, um, pride comes before a fall as, as I've learned many times in my life. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the, the thing is there, you've just got to really, you know, look introspectively. So a lot of, obviously the decision was going to be kind of mine and speaking to some of our existing investors and, and, and our team. But, but I think some of my assumptions originally were, you know, we want uh, someone who's going to be either, you know, very, very kind of ed tech focused, or they're going to be a massive like US VC firm or blah, blah, blah. Um, and then as we sort of just had conversations with people and, and that kind of human and people side really came through, it became much more important for, for us to have someone who was supportive, who was going to do what they were saying they were going to do in terms of kind of support around the investment raise. Um, and, and who most importantly, we knew understood our vision and the tech because for us, hopefully I've, I've done a really good job of explaining what we do, <laughs> but, it, but it's, it's, you know, there's an element of like deep tech. And there's an element of, of just completely changing up how people, you know, approach learning development in, in any organization and actually value their people where, where sadly many organizations don't necessarily. Um, so so that, that was the thing for us. And then the, the investors we ended up going with um, were, I think, one of only a handful of people who sort of asked me about, you know, the company mission and, and vision um, were, you know, some other people were, were probably more kind of financial um, or, or asking about sort of certain business areas. Ask you about that value add bit of investors. I think a lot of people promise that. A lot of people say they can do that. What value add realistically are you looking for? And what, and again, in those investor meetings, that bit at the end, have you got any questions for us? How are you finding out what the value add is going to be? Yeah, I think think it's a really good question. So um, for for me, I had a, a very, you know, originally had an idea of what I wanted, um, which was kind of like scale business development, uh, you know, capital follow on capital. So I, I, if we hit, you know, our goals, which we knocked out the park between seed and series A, if we did the same, uh, then, then it would be easier sort of raising a series B and things like that. Actually, what happened was when I really kind of analyzed my own thought process and, and spoke to the team and spoke to other people, what we wanted were basically people that were supportive of what we were doing. So obviously we've been through a very fortunate kind of like period of time as, as effectively like a you know, 18, 20, 24 month old company in terms of trading and launch. And we, we've you know, been through this period of kind of hyper growth, but, but, you know, let's say the bottom fell out of the learning and development market. We mm. want people who still kind of backed us as, as mm. people basically. Um, so I think that element of uh, just, understanding how people operate and, and whether they have your back and, and their own kind of investment thesis and criteria and what they're looking for was hugely important. And, and, you know, in practical terms, the way to do that is have some focused conversations with people, um, you know, push them on, on where they see the company going, what they want to do with it, um, how they have supported people, and then go and ask their portfolio. 
So interesting. Know, for, for these, these kind of, uh, you know, so six or so people that we had, um, I spoke to their portfolio members and, and I got them to introduce me some people who I knew would be the, the nice ones. And then I also, you know, reached out and spoke to some people that they hadn't suggested who, who might not be doing so well um, to, to see, you know, what happens when things go, go poorly. Um, so, so that gave me like a huge amount of data around their approach to things and, and, and sort of how they were as people. Um, and also actually spoke to other VCs um, and just said, you know, look, yeah. especially kind of like series B VCs and people like that. Um, and I said, you know, look, what do you think about these guys? How, how good are they in the market, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that, that's kind of like some technical data. And then I think just challenging people to say, okay, what, th these are the challenges that we're facing. This is what we want to do with the capital in practical terms, what are you going to do? And, you know, I remember speaking to some of the investors and, and it was very sort of generic what they were saying. Um, whereas, you know, the others and, and one of the ones we went with was like, we've got this, this is what we're going to do. These are the people we can introduce you to. Um, and, and for me, obviously, um, as I said earlier, a lot of that, the use of funds was sort of hiring people and hiring good people. And so we've got a, a very good data-driven hiring process um, which again, not plugging my blog too much, but <laughs> I just read an article for Entrepreneur, actually, uh, Entrepreneur uh, magazine about how to kind of hire superstars, basically, because that's often a really challenging thing for any stage of company. Um, but we had a very data-driven hiring process. Um, but you know, you don't necessarily have the the, the top level of the funnel of, of really great people coming through that. So. Um, one of the things that we were really focused on is, you know, who have you got in your network who can, who can come in and, and come and work for us? And, you know, luckily, I think one of the reassuring things, because after you sign a term sheet with your lead investor, you, there's always like the kind of buyer's remorse bit where you're yeah. like, oh, have, I, have I done the right yeah. thing? Luckily for, for me, that, that wasn't really the case, but, but it's always nice to have that kind of reassurance. So, so very quickly after it was signed, um, I got introduced to some, a couple of executives um, through that venture capitalist where I thought, again, I was assuming I was going to spend six months on an expensive executive search, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and was able to bring people in quite quickly afterwards. You've been fantastic. So again, I think the proof is in the pudding with all these things. Nice. And what happens next? Do you wake up one day and there's $10 million in the account? Do you draw it down over time? How, how does, what actually happens practically after a series A fundraise? Yeah, that's basically, that's exactly what happens. You, you, wake <laughs> up, you wake up one day, and you look at the bank balance, you're like, oh, okay, we've got- And you go, right, gonna... I'm just going to open up my Cayman's account and put this in there and off you go, right? Yeah, start buying office dogs by the, <laughs> by, by the boatload. No, so um, yeah, I mean, but basically what happens is you, you kind of, uh, uh, once the, once the you, you agree what's called a term sheet for anyone listening who, who might not be familiar with, with financing, that's basically sort of a, a one or two page A4 type document um, where it kind of, marks out the, the key uh, criteria of the investments so that might be things like uh, you know the, the board seats the percentage of the company they're taking the valuation of the company uh, so details basically like that and then once that's sort of agreed and signed it then moves into the due diligence period so most of the VCs will have done due diligence before from your data room um, and, and spoken to your customers and so forth uh, but then there's more kind of like legal due diligence where people really kind of dive into to contracts and, and so forth so that that takes a little while um, after the term sheet is signed and then it goes to sort of uh, lawyers where, where they draw up the formal documents um, like the shareholders agreements all this you know boring stuff for founders right but but it gets drawn up some back and forth around it a little bit of negotiation etc cetera, etc cetera. then those get signed once they get signed 
money goes into the account. Um, and, and I think my top tip there is like, don't, don't wait for the money to go in. Like, um, you know, fundraising is always just like a, a byproduct of building a great company. So I already knew that I needed to hire these people. I already had a hiring plan even before I went out to bat to raise this investment. So we just basically actioned a lot of that already. So in terms of like the actual company, yes, I was kind of out of like my day job because I had to go full time on speaking to, to a bunch of folks uh, over Zoom as well, which, which was kind of good and bad in terms of time and, and just the volume <laughs> of meetings you get through. Um, but, but yeah, like to be honest, things behind the scenes continued as normal with more focus on hiring. Um, and, and then, you know, you will have, a, we should have a financial model where you're basically saying at this point, this is when the money comes in. This is how our kind of, uh, you know, uh, run rate will increase. This is how our spend will increase. This is what we're doing. And then you just need to kind of action that plan as best you can um, and, and get, you know, the, the key highs in as quickly as possible. Nice. That's such good practical, practical knowledge for, for these listeners. So um, final thing I want to talk to you about is you've been ramping up personal brand i've noticed you're doing writing so entrepreneur.com i've seen a couple of articles on you're doing youtube videos now um are you looking to change careers alex are you looking to go on love island is that the way this is going um i think i probably go for like an unbox like a toys unboxing channel a toys unboxing nice okay like yeah stuff um <laughs> so yeah so really well I, you know you, you know me very well so like my my thing from day one's always been i don't i've never really wanted to be like the face of anything to be honest i want to be like the ghost behind the scenes yeah it's an amazing product amazing company um and, and then i sort of just sit back in the background a bit like uh Bruce Wayne at the end of um, <laughs> the Dark Knight Rises, where he takes his own death, basically. So, but but yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting point because uh, just following on from from what we're talking about the Series A investment round. Obviously, as a founder, you need to give away a, a lot of your kind of control and 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 what you do, and and especially for me, being like a surgeon, where control is so important. Obviously, mm. things like the operating theatre, the sterility, and things like that. Um, and as you say, I, I love being like planned and organised about stuff. So going from like doing absolutely everything to bringing in, you know, senior people and handing off things that, that was initially like quite a, quite a challenge, um, really, because it was, it's kind of, you've got to get a balance right of allowing people to sort of fail, putting the processes in and, and stepping back and just saying, okay, my, my job is no longer doing absolutely everything. It's focusing on core bits of the business I can help with for the moment. And then my kind of mission is really to, you know, remove myself from, from, from a lot of this stuff, bringing people that who are better than me at all these different areas. Um, and, and so. Do you I, really believe anyone's better than you at some of those areas, Alex? No, no not joking. <laughs> they, are, they definitely are. They definitely are. So, um, so I mean, what, what, I mean, the, the bits that I sort of really, really enjoy doing um, as you know, kind of things like, you know, product, uh, product, uh, you know, innovation, marketing yeah, uh, and things like that. But I guess, you know, as, as a founder, I've set the company culture. I've sort of made that up which is to be, be bold, be fast, be amazing, mm. uh, leveling people up, training them. And so a lot of the stuff that I did naturally kind of internally was kind of coaching and, and things like this. So, um, I sort of got persuaded by, by our board, our marketing team to start putting a lot of the things that I had done, which, uh, and again, for, for me personally, like, I, I don't think like I'm particularly like amazing at like business or anything like that, but I've obviously like done some yeah. stuff and, and, you know, whenever I see people like posting things on uh, YouTube or blogs, I'm always a bit like, well, that that's cool and helpful, but you know, how, how much of an expert is that person? Mm. Um, so, so I was always a bit like, you know, 
almost a bit like imposter syndrome, I guess, for that, like mm. you know, wanting to wanting to share stuff and things. And so I was just kind of kept it to myself. But yeah, kind of got, got persuaded to do this um, because obviously lots of big organizations have thought leaders um, where it, it helps sort of get across the messaging of the company and the brand and and, and also helps with things like your branding for hiring. Um, yeah. but because that, that branding piece is just so, so important, as you know, for, for organizations at any stage, to, to be perfectly honest. So long story short, I, I started putting down some of my thoughts into kind of blogs. Um, and, and that was really around, you know, my own interests about learning human performance, uh, building and scaling companies. Um, so, so kind of covering everything from like, you know, Steve Jobs type stuff, like, you know, how you can get better sleep and then be more productive to how to actually do some of these technical things like, like hire and, and, you know, raise an investment around. Um, and then they got, they got sort of really good feedback. And, and ironically, just by sort of taking some time uh, out of out of my diary and blocking it out to actually reflect write stuff down that was actually really really helpful for me whereas I've yeah. just been doing loads and loads of stuff and it's probably very obvious to anyone listening but you know I'd really advocate just having a period of time where you just plan strategy you note down your thoughts you reflect on things as an executive um, and, and then you know the the best thing that I've kind of learned has been you know by sharing that with other people um, you kind of get feedback on that um and and it's you know really really rewarding if, if people kind of like drop you an email or something like oh yeah this has really helped our company that i've never heard of <laughs> so so that's really cool and then yeah because we're sort of very visual we do things uh with with video um ended up kind of yeah recording some of those articles and, and starting up a kind of youtube channel um which, which again is a, a difficult thing in itself as you know uh sort of speaking to a camera and and, and doing that in, in a way that's hopefully not boring and is helpful for people yeah I think, you know, that video is, is uh, to, to dive into marketing for a second, like that long form content, yeah. we can pull other content off. It is just very engaging, very quick for people to digest where, where some people not might not want to kind of sit, sit down and read like a thousand word blog or something like that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think when it does come to that content stuff, well, there's a couple of things, right? I think it's interesting about company and personal brand. I think it's interesting the different types of content you can put out. And ultimately, as you say, it's about collecting that long form. You know, we say to our clients, even at Somex, you know, if we can just get an hour long Zoom call with you, we can turn that into hundreds of pieces of content, whether that's quote cards, audiograms, short caption video clips. We can write multiple blogs and lots more social media posts off the back of all of that stuff. And it's just so easy. It's just that waterfall from a nice long video that we can do lots of things with. You can turn that into a podcast, you can turn that into a vlog, you can put it on YouTube. There's this just, it's endless, the things that you can do. And so people absorb content differently as well. I think that's the thing. Sometimes you're in the mood to, even, even within the visual platform, sometimes you're in the mood to go on Instagram and you'll want more fun content on that side of things, more visual. Sometimes you'll be in the mood to read a blog or you might be in the mood to go on YouTube and watch a longer video. You know, there's the, you're just in the mood for different things at different times. And I think the more that you can spread your bets, the more that you can access people in those different ways. You know, if we say, again, we say it to some of our clients, you know, it's not about just having a podcast and then that audio being everything and you hope that solves your problem it does need to be written on a in blog form on your website because people prefer reading over listening sometimes it does need to be on youtube because they prefer watching it needs to be cut into shorter because sometimes they're not going to sit through 20 40 minutes of that stuff so it does it does become extremely important and i think you're right when it comes to building personal brand alongside company brand as well and i think it's interesting where those two things combine i suppose i've come from it 
the other way in terms of I've had a personal brand before Somex has had a brand and that will be <laughs> more coming up probably by the time this is released, we'll actually have a website and all those things, even though we've got loads of clients and stuff. But I'm coming from it that way in terms of I've built personal brand before company brand, but both are reflective of each other. You know, as you've said, um, you know, be bold, be amazing, be brave. Like those things are reflective of you as a person and therefore you want them reflected in your company. And then by putting out content across both that reflects both, as you say, you're building brand. And ultimately, don't we all want to be in a position where things are inbound? We are a branded company where things are inbound rather than being a faceless, nameless sales company where you're setting up email funnels and just hoping for the best, you know, and all of that outbound stuff. Well, I, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. And you, you hit on a really good point for, for anyone listening. And, and it's, you know, it's very much aligned to, to what you do. And I think for me, um, with that mindset of, of originally kind of wanting to be like the, the ghost in the machine, basically, which, which probably not the best thing to do, to be perfectly honest. Like if I was coming at, it, at everything again, if you look at like most business problems, you know, something like hiring, for example, if you don't have a strong employer brand, like how, what, why would anyone come and work for your company? Correct. Like th- there's this data on Glassdoor where the company culture, the brand is much more important. So I think that that contributes about like 80% of decision-making wow. for, for kind of high performers and stuff. Um, and, and, you know, it's absolutely right. Like if, if you don't have a culture of like learning or well-being or uh, you're not, you're not, you know, focused on kind of growth and development for your employees, why, why would they come? And, and for me, it's really interesting because a lot of the stuff that, that companies struggle with can be distilled down to two things, really. It's education and it's marketing. And they, they kind of overlap quite nicely. And so actually a lot of what our system does in terms of Verti, um, it's, it allows you know, an organization to connect with their people and, and to market kind of things like their own um, company culture and you know, things like training and things. So they're kind of marketing it to them because we're providing them with the, the distribution platform to get it in front of them, the convenience them to use it on mobile or the, the excitement to use it in virtual reality. Um, and, and then they're learning from it. So they're being educated to retain that, that information. And, and it's exactly the same as what you guys do and, and what we've, we do with, with our sort of branding at Verti as well, which is um, you, you create this content, which all the bits you're mentioning, you know, Instagram, YouTube, it, it's basically education. Um, and and it's, it's getting people to kind of understand why, what you are doing as a business, as an organization is important from an employer side. Um, and then it's also educating the market about your, you know, your product, why you're solving a problem, why they should adopt it um, and, and taking them through that kind of uh, education journey from, from, you know, unconscious incompetence through to really understanding why what you're doing is, is so good. And there we have it elegantly full circle and what a wonderful note to end on alex congratulations on your series a i hope you come back to tell us about your series b obviously you know i thoroughly enjoy what you're doing and uh wish you all the best of luck thanks man likewise likewise keep uh, keep it up i'm very excited to see some of the bits i know you've got in the pipeline so uh yeah keep me in the loop will do mate have a good one thanks dude hey everyone thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.